and welcome to Tech Live. Stephanie Christopher here, Chief Executive of the Executive Connection. Tech Connect CEOs, executives and business owners to the world's largest business leader network. We're committed to delivering actionable insights, accelerating business performance and optimising decision making. So today my guest is John Beach. John has been a member of our tech community now for nearly 15 years as a chair and more recently as a speaker, which is wonderful. So more and more of our community are hearing from John about innovation and, and really the scientific method that goes with it. So John does have a career that has really been focused on working with businesses on commercialising an idea. And that's really what I'm keen to talk to John about today. So, John, how come an accountant is the expert on innovation? Uh, well, the standard joke in our family is I'm not that kind of accountant, <laughs> but um, I, I had the good privilege to uh, work for Orbital Engine Company. I joined them in 87, uh, effectively as Chief Financial Officer. And so I had the privilege of seeing technology go from an idea to full industrialisation to the stage where the joint venture we set up is producing $300 million worth of profit 20 years later and you know, 10 or 15% uh, profit, sorry, $300 million worth of revenue and uh, profit of about 10 to 15%. So it was great to see the whole journey and, and you realise that actually there was a real process here that you should be able to replicate. So that's been an interest of mine. And there's so much that's gone on in that space in the last 20 years. So we were talking earlier today about the fact that Orbital wasn't following a textbook. No, no, you know, Ralph. The, the lean startup hadn't been written then, or no. zero to one. They, they were yet to be written. So what was it that you think Ralph got right? It's a number of things. Uh, they had a, a joint venture with BHP from early days, and they had a, a guy called Dr. Dom Swinkles came on board, and right from day one, they applied the scientific method and captured their IP and, and were very diligent in in learning from every experiment. And that that really underpinned so much of what was done at, at Orbital. And then Ralph was just a natural businessman and he applied a whole lot of things which are now people are writing about. It's quite interesting. What, what kind of things? Well, there's a, a book called Crossing of the Chasm, which was one of the things that we used a lot. Um, in the 90s, and they talk about having a market development plan so and to be very focused and have a minimum viable product. So right. Ralph's first engine that he developed was a one-cylinder engine, which he then took to GM, and they financed the project to do a three-cylinder engine. But even that was a minimum viable product because they just took a three-cylinder engine off the shelf and put the fuel and combustion system on. So they basically under, he he just understood where the intellectual Inherently property he knew the intellectual right. property yeah. wasn't the piece of metal but how to make the piece of metal work isn't that interesting so when tell me more about the scientific method when you're saying that that's what you used at orbital tell me what that means to you well basically it's about firstly doing some research and and having a, a hypothesis and then doing a test to work out that that hypothesis uh, in fact, you want to invalidate it. You want to prove it wrong, not yeah. prove it right. Yeah. And that's incredibly important. And Ralph applied that in a business sense. And, and I'll quickly tell the story. He went and spoke to GM and got GM to specify what was the engine they wanted to see. And if they saw it in their labs and it met certain specs, that this was a production engine. Mm. And so he got there effectively his opposition to specify what that 
that was, he delivered that and that told him, that was an experiment, but that experiment told him, one, they had a problem and he had a potential solution. And from that, he was then able to get a licence, which is effectively the product market uh, fit stage. So he did that just, he knew that intuitively. And, and he went, when he went back to them and said they wanted to talk about a licence, he, he uh, famously put a very large number on the table. Yeah. And they stormed out, weren't happy with it. He then went and got a, a deal with uh, Ford, which is effectively the same deal. And 24 hours later, or 12 hours later, because I was there when it happened, he received a phone call. GM said, we come back cap in hand. We want to exercise our option to a license. And I think what it shows, he actually ran a commercial experiment. He knew that. Yes. He, he, was try- he didn't want to go and spend lots of money until he knew that, he, that people were going to buy what he had. So that's exactly the model now that businesses, startups would be following. It should be. It should be. Yeah. And, 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 and I think, in fact, one of the great strengths of, of tech is the tech questioning process, the issues processing we do, is in fact a variation of the scientific model. Mm. And so what's the problem that you've got? Get all the information on the table. And then uh, once you've got the information, what's the challenge here for you? And what are you looking for? And then ultimately, out of those discussions that we have and the clarifying questions and what people put on the table, there comes the germ of an insight. There's that extra piece of information. And I use this quote quite a bit. Jeff Bezos says that perspective is worth 80 IQ points. And the number of times I've sat in a tech meeting and the person you least expect makes a comment, which is that aha moment. And essentially what you're seeing play out is they're using the scientific method and they're using the fact that there's high diversity and that high diversity it's a winner every time it provides that missing piece. What I love about what you're talking about with the scientific method is it takes some of the mystery away from entrepreneurship and innovation that this is something that most people actually learnt at school about how to have an idea and test it. and, And absolutely if you look at the progress humankind has made it goes back to the adoption, the industrial revolution and the adoption of the scientific method. Mm. And so in many ways, business is all about creating value for customers or making progress for humanity. Mm. They're, they're inextricably linked. It is the mechanism. And so if you want to be successful, be disciplined in that. There's another great quote that I like, which I think you might have actually provided to me with Winston Churchill said sometimes people stumble on the truth they pick themselves up dust themselves off and walk on as though nothing had happened (laughs) and and you go if you're applying the scientific method you will ask the question why it didn't work and it's often those failed experiments that give the answer so somewhere in there then that idea of being able to fail capable of failing that's the entrepreneur then, isn't it? Someone who's prepared to take a risk that I might look stupid, I might spend some money that's not going to work, or I might have to walk away from my dream. Yeah, I, I think one of the things I learned from Ralph um, Sarich was Ralph, I would say, was incredibly risk averse. And I think a lot of the very good mm. entrepreneurs are. But Ralph had plan B, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, mm. if it didn't work out that he, the way he wanted. Mm. So when he was taking the risk, and in fact, innovation, the whole process of innovation 
is about risk reduction and risk mit mitigation. That I've got a, a beautiful slide that was given to me in 1991 by the R&D manager for Hewlett-Packard, and it just describes what you're doing. It's all about risk reduction. Doing Ralph did an experiment with GM, which basically de-risked the highest item. Would the customer buy what he had? He de-risked it hugely, and by de-risking that, he then had the he then went and de-risked every other technical issue, commercial issue, all of that. That's what we were doing, or and sometimes that meant that you had to break through and invent things. Yes, and that's that's a different kind of experiment, but it was de-risking and reducing the constraint. That those two things were happening. A really important parts yeah. of the whole innovation process. So, do you think there's anything that Ralph did that? has been perhaps lost today in the approaches to innovation that are the you know, more textbook or becoming more mainstream approaches to innovation? That's a, that's a really fine question, uh, Stephanie. And I, I don't have an immediate answer, though the thought that occurs to me in response is Ralph started running his business when he was uh, doing business when he was 15. Yeah. The game of business, and Ralph taught me this, the game of business is a people sport, a team sport, and it's a brain sport. And he knew, get the best engineers on board. And so he, he basically would get people relatively fresh out of university. He said, John, I, I give them a job. I just fail to tell them it's never been done before. And they just deliver. They deliver again and again. They don't have self-limiting beliefs. He yeah. gets them before those, those have been put in. Yeah. So in answer to your question, I think that that team element um, is one that you don't hear talked about as much as maybe you should. Mm -hmm. I think th if you get A graders, and if I look back, and I'm in fact catching up with them for a few beers, you know, guys like Kim Schlunke, Ken Johnson, Peter Simons, you know, they're 22, 23, yeah. you know, when, when he pulled them all together and he viewed himself as the coach. Uh, There's a great uh, video by a guy called Dave Brailsford, who is a, uh, was the coach of the UK cycling team. And, and he says, I don't believe in the thing that there's no iron team. Everybody in the team has got something to do and he had to work out what was in it for them. And they didn't have to get along. They just had, he had to align and get them going uh, all in the same direction. And I think that's what Ralph, probably more so than what most people would understand, that was his true skill. He was a very good coach. Not an easy person, <laughs> no. And I suspect, and I never knew, obviously, uh, Steve Jobs, but mm. I suspect there was an element of That's what's of it. coming to mind yeah. for me when you're talking as well. Yeah. He, he set the bar high. He helped people achieve what they wanted to, you know, that they would never have achieved otherwise. Um, so he allowed, allowed them to achieve their potential. Um, quite, quite, and I'm not sure that we've quite got that. If you, in many ways, it's about the team it's, it's not about the widget. It is about the business model. It is about the team. Mm. Uh, those are the, the elements that he kind of meshed in. And so many startups start with the widget, don't they? Oh, absolutely. I've got this idea. I'm going to build it. I'm going to improve it. I'm going to re refine it. It's yeah. going to be great. Yeah. Yeah. Love the problem, not your solution. And Ralph understood that. He, he yeah. just, like, there was a moment, he originally started off with a rotary style engine. Yes. And he went and spoke to a guy at Ford, a very senior guy, and uh, he said, and, and put forward the proposition of we'll have our fuel system and our combustion system on a two-stroke engine, a standard reciprocating two-stroke engine. The guy was keen as mustard. 
And on the plane back, after 10 years' work, Ralph changed. He went to that other. And that idea of doing that came from these 25 or something old and engineers. And that's the big thing also, isn't it? Walking away from, oh. from your baby, being well, prepared to let it go and, and pivot and shift. Yeah, well, yeah. That, but the point that he understood there was a job to be done. Yeah. And he understood that that was the key issue. And, it, and, and he also then understood the intangible nature of IP. The intellectual property they had garnered had been worked up on one engine, but it was more applicable to another and two or three. And that's the beautiful thing about intellectual property is you can sell it multiple times. It can do multiple jobs. Yes. And so you can sell it as an engineering project. You can sell it as an option to a license. You can sell it as a license. You can sell it and get a grant. You can sell it and get sh- uh, people to buy shares. Uh, you know, I, one of the things as chief financial officer of a company like uh, Orbital is you're always looking for money. Let me say ser- <laughs> seriously, particularly during... And you haven't changed, John. Well, have <laughs> yeah, you? <laughs> yeah, come on, pay, pay up for this. But, but, but so what you're doing is you've got intellectual property and you're find, looking for jobs to be done where you can use that intellectual property. And, and, and we got really good at it. Tax losses, for example. We yeah. you know, sold them to people who could use them. It was, it was just a game of trying to find out how you could use your intellectual property better. What a wonderful story. John, what I always love about talking to you is, is the quotes, the books you reference. I feel as if I should be taking notes. The good thing is I can listen back to this. Actually, my Churchill quote is, I saw it on a beautiful wine bar in Auckland on the wall, and it was, gentlemen, remember, it is not just France we are fighting for, it is champagne. <laughs> so uh, I think on that note, what a pleasure to see you today, John. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us, and uh, see you next time. Thanks very much, Stephanie. So that's Tech Live for today. CEOs are in the business of making decisions, and leadership is the art of execution. I'm Stephanie Christopher and look forward to talking to you next time.